This is the Living Writers Show. My name is T. Hetzel, and today in the studio, Jess Winder Bolina. Welcome, Jess Winder. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's well. It's great to see you. This this is a pre-taped show, um, and uh, Jess Winder is coming into town to read at Rackham. Um, so hopefully, if you're listening, you got a chance to to catch him over at the auditorium for the Zell Visiting Writers series, and you're you're reading with Margaret Lazarus Dean today. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. So, as a way to kick off, I'm going to read your your uh, your bio on the back of your your book, Carrier Wave, um, and that's you'll be reading a few poems from that uh, for us today, Jess Winder, and yeah, that and a few great. a couple new ones too. By yeah. the sounds of it, in the sheaf of paper. That's right. <laughs> Very exciting. Okay. Um, Jess Winder Bolino was born in Chicago in 1978. He received his BA from Loyola. University Chicago and his MFA from the University of Michigan. That's right, right here, folks. He currently studies and teaches in Athens, Ohio, where he is a PhD student in the creative writing program at Ohio University. His work has previously appeared in Plowshares and the Laurel Review and other places. A few more since then, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Rah, rah. <laughs> and this book, Carrier Wave, um, was the winner of the Colorado Prize for Poetry in, in uh, was it 2006? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, that's wonderful. So congratulations, belatedly. Thanks. Well, thanks. No, it's, it's never belated. <laughs> it's just like, keep on with the congratulations. Right? Well, so few people read it that it's always nice to get a congrats every so often. What what do you mean by that the 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 book uh, or well, poetry poetry, poetry in, general? in general it's yeah. a, it's a small market <laughs> it is yeah they say lots of the time it's the the poets reading the poets and yeah it can be that way it, it seems that way sometimes but you, know, you try to write for people other than poets and and hopefully people other than poets read it but yeah and connect it find it and um yeah well um it sounds like let's see well let's Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now to start off. Um, you just drove here from Ohio. Um, so what, what's going on? You went to the MFA here, and what's sort of happened to you since, Jaswinder? Um, I stuck around here and taught full-time for a year, um, after which I moved back to Chicago and worked as an editor. Um, doing a writer's job? <laughs> yeah, writer's job. It was um, kind of soul-sucking, though, in some ways. I mean, editing is not writing, and it it can take a lot out of you in terms of writing and after doing that for a year I decided that I needed to be someplace where I could just focus on on the writing and um so you applied to go back for a PhD in creative writing yeah and at the time and I think still it's sort of a, a rare program it, there aren't very many of them certainly not as many as our MFA program because well, this used to be MFA was the terminal degree yep <laughs> yep signed so it up in Athens Ohio um which is down in the Appalachian foothills, and it's that, kinda, that sounds beautiful. Yeah, it really is. It's a neat place to live. Um, so, is it wrenching open your heart for the poems to come sort of flooding out? Um, well, it's kind of. I, I don't tend to write very much about um, myself in a direct way um, or my own life, and so, 
I tend to find things after I've already left them in some ways. And, and so I'm not really focused on, on where I am at the moment. Um, but certainly the program is a good one and the people that are there are great and I'm getting a lot of time to write. Oh, that's that's actually really interesting to hear that you have time to write for because sometimes you think when you enter back into a a, a graduate program that it might um, they might have plans for your time other than writing sometimes, but well, that's they not do, the case. <laughs> well, they do. I mean, you, you teach and you, you take courses, but um, I'm kind of I'm pretty diligent about the writing. I tend to blow other things off. Um, What's your method then? What do you, what is it? Well, um, How does it go? it's actually one that I I guess learned um, a long time ago, where I, I tend to just sort of write every day um, for a few hours and. And make sure to make that time, um, sometimes at the expense of, uh, of other responsibilities. But in doing that, I think I get used to, uh, the way that I described it, I've, I've compared it to this before. It's sort of like eating when you eat at the same time every day, your, your stomach starts to grumble. Um, and so by writing at the same time every day for the same amount of time, um, even if I don't have anything really going, it, it seems to, to, to get moving at the same time. So that's sort of the method. So, I mean, there are other things to do, but I mean, I'm there to do the writing and, and primarily. And so, so you've been producing a lot. It's been a, a good time of production for you. Yeah. I just, um, recently actually, I think a few weeks ago, um, finished a new manuscript. Um, I, you know, I say that tentatively because it's not a book until somebody wants to publish it, but uh, but yeah, so I've, I've managed to pull that off in the last couple of years. But congratulations, well, that's thanks. great. That, yeah, and is that something that the 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 PhD program would also require of you to present like a like a manuscript as your as your your final thesis and and defend that somehow? Is that how the program will work? Yeah, it's a lot like an MFA. Only there's a defense, and there are a few other requirements. But yeah. Yeah, it's always, the, the word defense is always so funny. It's sort of, like, I don't know, I kind of s- picture you there, like, with, I don't know, waving, like, a pitchfork or a club or something. <laughs> yeah, t- I mean, I, I think Get back some it. of them can be that way. Some of them um, can be pretty contentious, but hopefully mine won't be. That's fingers crossed on that one. Yeah, knock on wood. Um, well, would you like to, to read us one of the poems that, that you're, you're talking about that have just, that are in the new the new manuscript sure um i guess i can uh i'll just read this one that's on top um it's it's a bit long but hopefully not too dull Uh, (laughs) it's called you'll see a sailboat see the punk-haired bush as a stout little argument between trees and grasses see the bonny woman in a skirt the color of a hatchet wound blooming See what differs between what you're awaiting and what approaches breathing fire. Nothing is ever resolved, not to a sufficient degree of accuracy, not speed or location, not the numinous image of the dead soul ascending the stair, not beauty. See the bearded prairie, the plain, a plain crumpling into the ganglia of hills at the feet of the mountains. See 72 yellow balloons above the used car lot. See the soul floating, strung taut to the body, but fumbling for shears. On Tuesday, I awake, announcing aloud, Today is a day in which something will reveal itself to me. On Wednesday, I buy a toothbrush. Thursday, my parrot hugs every fine turn of phrase, and we too spend afternoon reiterating, I hate you, I want a cracker, I hate you, I want a cracker. 
until the parrot flies from me and returns to the dense forest of my imagining. I'm alone. You're with me. I'm giving you all this as a gift, conifers as metonymic California, pasture as the overwhelming sense of Nebraska, the way I remember Denver. I remember Denver. It was her slight nose leaning in profile below the clear space of her forehead. It was a wrinkle in America. But you were awaiting a messenger carrying his satchel of tidings. I see a circus tent. You think, why does he keep doing this, presenting ideas this way and abandoning them so readily for others? In the flood, it's better to flow like water. In the gunfight, it's best to avoid absorption. In the launch window, I make like a rocket and chase my satellite head. The trinkets on the mantle jingle their crystalline jingle. See the photon trespassing the wide pupil. See the soul reiterating to the wide expanse of the ether, I hate you, I want a cracker. But this is frustrating, you think, all these ideas and nothing developing clearly. Not her face, not the stake in the tall grass securing the tent to its billowing sense of interior. Relax. Allow your shoulders to sag low from the blinking pod of your head. You'll see the hatchet arcing through the murky air. You'll see the dragon reciting his song of fire. You'll see a sailboat. Thank you, Jess Winder. You'll see a sailboat. That's wonderful. Thanks. That one actually does have a bit of Athens in it, I guess. There how, was. How so? What what pieces do you see? Um, well, I mean, just the notion. I think the hills at the feet of the mountains and. There's a reference to uh, balloons above a used car lot that actually was there. There were, the, I mean, dozens of balloons strung up over this used car lot, and they were up 30, 40 feet in the air. There were these helium balloons, and it was one of the more bizarre things that I think I've seen, especially in a town that small. Right, right. It almost sounds like a magnetic field song or something where then, you know, you could be carried away with them and look over the town. Yeah, actually, I'm a fan of the magnetic fields, but but yeah, I mean, so I, I guess, although I, I, I say that I don't write about things, I do, they do sneak in uh, in terms of imagery. Well, thank thank you for your honesty. Well, that's, <laughs> that's quite all right. I figure I should come clean. I'm, I'm on the radio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the time capsule of you, Jess Winder, this this moment. Um, I hope so to, I hope to <laughs> never listen to this, by the way. <laughs> The sound, of, the sound of my own voice is quite irritating. So. Oh no, no, not not at all. Um, no, no. Well, um, so the book that um, that you're that was the winner of the Colorado Prize for Poetry is called Carrier Wave, and so there's also this sense of it's it's kind of interesting that the first poem you read was I see a sailboat, and so it seems like these the idea of waves and motion and and I guess in this book at least transmissions. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- that it's kind of fun to actually talk about it on the radio in some way. Um, it, it very much had to, I think, do with transmission and the notion of, of a carrier wave is any kind of a wave that has information on it, that sends a signal. Um, so people listening to this right now are, are actually listening to a carrier wave. Um, and and I don't really remember where that idea came from. I think um, it had a little bit to do with the notion of of trying to send people messages, but but there being a lot of static that gets in the way and a lot of stuff gets left out, um, and somehow that became sort of a concept that the book got built around. Um, and e- even the the cover photo, which I, I found on Flickr. Um, so you got to choose the cover photo as well. I did, I, and I looked through a lot of them, and 
Um, this on was taken Flickr. by yeah on Flickr.com. <laughs> this was taken by um, a guy who calls himself an amateur photographer. Um, by you know he's a pretty great photographer to be an amateur, but um, in Germany, and it was taken of a homeless shelter. He was waiting at a, a train station, um, and his train was late, so he walked around. He, he saw this homeless shelter and saw this blue window and um, took this photograph. And I, I don't think the photograph would have worked, except there's a there's a radio visible, sort of in. Oh yeah, in a, the window and, and under under a, a desk lamp of sorts, like almost looking like an old fashioned lamp or rigged some yeah and so it was kind of neat that it that it turned out that way that, it, that this photo sort of appeared it's a really amazing picture but it sort of encapsulated visually the the, the notion of a carrier wave and the notion of sort of something seen but not seen and, and heard but not heard clearly yeah because def- the window is closed mm-hmm. and and it's also when people can drop by shame and drum and look at the the cover and the window and maybe pop in and and get a, a copy for themselves um the window is marbled so you can't really see in so things are distorted the vision slightly anyway and of course yeah and this whole idea of communication like the outsider and and how um uh it, it it's interesting to know that it was from like a homeless sh- shelter. So what's actually um, inside is it's like the shelter for people who who don't have places. Like all oh, that's very good to know, even though you don't know it from looking. No, you wouldn't at know the it. Cover, but now people listening will have have that little. Yeah, it's kind of funny. In, in some ways, I worry that the, the picture might be good enough that it doesn't need the book. But um, but, but there is there is certainly a, a reflection of the, the themes inside. Okay, now we're going to be more positive about poetry in the next part of the show. Let's uh, let's take a, a short break, and uh, we'll be right back uh, to hear more from Jaswinder Bolina on uh, the Living Writers Show. Good afternoon. If you're just tuning in um, today, Jaswinder Bolina uh, on the Living Writers Show. Um, he drove up from Ohio to be with us today, getting some of that snowy, icy weather on the way. Probably. Literally just off the road. I got to the hotel and ran out the door. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, 
but it, it, it makes it a little bit maybe uh, more spontaneous that way. I didn't have any time to prep for this. Yeah, no, no prep necessary. Just talking, just conversation. And then, um, and you're going to be reading uh, in Rackham today. Well, when, anyway, this is pre-taped, so... Um, but and that's your first time reading in in Rackham, is it? Yeah, it's my actually one of my first times in Rackham. Um, it was under construction when I was here. Um, when were you here, Chance Winder? Um, I started in fall of '01, um, which I would have. I mean, it, I literally started. I think the week that that 9/11 happened, and I uh, was here till 2003 as a student, and then was here teaching for another year. Um, so it was sort of a bizarre time to start an MFA program and be a writer. Because um, yeah, what could you really, it might have felt like, what, what am I supposed to write now for a while? Well, there was, you were here to write. Yeah, and there was a bizarre, um, this was really just a, a quirk. I was, it was the very first week of workshop with Alice Fulton, who was a professor at the time and was a great poet. Um, she, she had a workshop and we were handing work in for it. And I think the week before was when we handed in our first poems. I actually had imagery of, of airplanes falling out of the sky, which was a bizarre moment of coincidence. I mean, that poem no longer exists, not having anything to do with 9-11. It just, I threw out a lot of work. I, I tend to throw out a lot of work. But um, but yeah, it was a strange moment to be here, to, to do this seemingly really self-absorbed kind of a thing, which in some ways writing is, um, in the middle of, of this massive sort of catastrophe um and i think that that colored a, a lot of the work not in a direct way but it's there in the background um and so it was a an amazing sort of moment to be here and i don't obviously mean amazing in the in the best possible way there but it, it was um it was an interesting time as a writer, and I think it's an interesting time for all writers right now. We're still dealing with the aftermath of that and various other political things, but um, and being yeah occupiers in a war. Perhaps, yeah, yeah, I mean, and that and that's definitely in there. The title poem "Carrier Wave" was actually my attempt at a um, at a, a somewhat ambivalent anti-war poem. Um, is where it came from. I, I was talking to. Uh, Ray McDaniel, um, who I'm sure people in town know. Uh, oh, yes. Know and love. <laughs> no, everyone knows and loves Ray. Um, uh, not the TV show, of course. Everyone hates oh, that right. show. But <laughs> but Ray McDaniel, we all love. But, um, but yeah, he was actually an amazing person to run into here. He wasn't um, necessarily faculty. He was, he was a graduate and he was teaching. And um, he really helped me put that book together. He, he was there to help me order the first draft of it. But... I remember talking to him and to uh, Brenda Hillman, who's another great poet who was here uh, visiting when I was here, and she talked about politics and bringing the political into poetry. And um, and so this title poem ended up originally being this sort of 21 or 22 page, uh, I, I don't even know what to describe it, sort of a Canterbury Tales uh, about the war and, and sort of our contemporary situation. Would you like to read part of it, Jess? When um, I can read part of it. It's quite long, and um, there is <laughs> there's binary code running through it. Yeah, what what's the reason behind that? What was your binary? <laughs> well, you know, it's code? it's funny because I I, t- I remember talking to friends and saying, "Boy, do I do I want to be that guy, that guy who has binary code <laughs> in his book of poetry?" But really, it's a, a visual. Um, 
thing. It's a, it's an element that I wanted there. Um, the binary code ends up being the static. It ends up being the sort of stuff that we can't decode that surrounds the stuff that we can decode, at least in, in the palm carrier wave. Um, so the code that you that you put in, was that also... Could someone, if they knew how to decode binary code, um, could... Does it mean does it mean something specific, or is it the symbols to stand for the static? That's what I wondered when I saw it. You know, I I actually get this question a fair amount, and I'm I bet <laughs> I'm I'm like half inclined to say yes, run it through a computer. Um, <laughs> but then I'd like for them to tell me what they find, because I, I have no idea what it would what it would turn into. I, I don't even know if this is actual authentic binary code. I mean, it's, it's ones and zeros, but I, <laughs> right. I don't know if they amount to anything. Um, so just use your own decoder ring, basically. Come yeah, up with your own. <laughs> and it'd be great. I actually, I'd, I'd love to see somebody do it. I mean, for all I know, there might be something there, um, but, I, but I doubt it. I didn't, I didn't put it there on purpose. Um, but it, it was a visual element. I didn't know how to get this notion of static across on a page. And this is sort of what I what I landed on, um, and and so yeah, it ended up being this sort of odd uh, anti-war poem, but it's not it's not explicitly so. I, I don't think the issue is as simple as just being pro-war or anti-war. Um, yeah, and it, and it was those people that I mentioned earlier who got me thinking of including some of the the context of our political lives. Um, Alice Fulton used to say that everything is political, and I think a lot of people do believe that. And and this was a chance to do it a little bit more explicitly, I think. Um, and yeah, the the other side of it was the Canterbury Tales. I wanted to use these characters that, um, but I wanted them to be contemporary characters. Um, and so it's hard to read, of course, the whole thing. I've never read the whole thing, and I, I don't probably intend to. It's quite long, but um, I could read from the last maybe page or two. That would be great. Um, so this is after a break. There are these sort of um, coded breaks throughout the poems. It's in sections. Um, and this is the last section of it. <clears throat> the mayor's second wife knits cozies for the ammunition depot. The radiologist sleeps. The sergeants at arms get soused, awnings yawning. The organ pipe repairman repairs the beekeeper's organs while the lovers are lovingly shrugging. I stumble down a fractal edge of the city. Palmettos prepare to break open and spill their internal contraptions, parachutes unfurling into the countless mouths of the sky. There's the not-quite-liquid of some you. There's the slow-grinding end of a world. The war consumes the town, and by the time the ref calls it, there are only the two of us left standing, though we don't resemble each other. Dearest other, I'm beside myself when I'm beside you. Deliberate other, I've taken so much from you, I'm unable to forgive your intrusion. Delicate other, if you've ever thought of yourself in terms of self-portrait in robe, with axe, or imagined the perfect method for the disposal of a body, you may know a little of what I mean. It's a little dark. Thank you, Des <laughs> Winder. Um, thank you for reading that. But, so, Carrier Wave. So, that's the, the title. Po- that's from the title poem of the book. Um, so, and how... So, and also, just skipping then all the way to the, the end of the book, I thought it was really... Um, Great. The last, the last, um, the last page of the book, literally, with um, you, you say, oh, "No transmission can convey me." Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I am standing in a clearing. I am bothered about beauty, and that was really, that was great. Well, thanks. That's um, 
I, I can't take full credit for that either. I mean, the, the title is from a John Ashbery poem called um, And Ut Pictura Poesis Is Her Name. Um, and the title of that poem, of my poem, is Other Centers of Communication. And so it's taken, that uh, there's a line in Ashbery's poem. Um, and he opens that poem with, you can't say it that way anymore. Bothered about beauty, you have to come out into a clearing and rest. Um, and so I kind of wanted to answer that poem. It was one of the first poems that I, I think I ever read in a workshop, in a, uh, first contemporary poems, I think. It was um, Dean Young, who was a, a professor of mine uh, in undergrad, um, had us read it the first day of class uh, in whatever year that would have been, 97 or something, and um, it really floored me. And for years I tried to come up with some kind of answer to John Ashbery. I think half the planet has tried to come up with some answer to John Ashbery, but that was my attempt. Um, and the poem is probably not even close to anything Ashberian, but but those last lines, they, they were sort of that, that eventual answer. Um, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's far enough away from from old John and uh, <laughs> he's not waving his fist. Yeah, I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> no, he's he's glad you're standing in a clearing, and probably night. I don't know why I'm trying to speak for him. Exhilarated <laughs> that you're bothered by beauty. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I hope I hope all of us are. Um, but it was such a weird way to phrase it, you know, for for him to to say bothered about beauty. That always struck me. Um, and now when I teach, actually, when I teach poetry classes, that's it's the first poem I have my students read uh, all these years later. And, and it's fun to go through that poem with them. And it's kind of, if nothing else, if I never publish again, at least I got that one out, was, was my attitude. <laughs> and so there's that positive spirit. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> You're in town for a reading. Everything's going well. Yeah, yeah. But it's wonderful. Yeah, it's like you've made your, you've, you've made your claim to it and and how wonderful that it's uh, it started sort of this experience that seemed to break you open as an undergraduate with Dean Young and then um, where it the placement now is it's the the last poem of your first collection so that's kind of yeah I mean I thought I think it was one of the last ones I wrote while working on that manuscript and I thought about putting it at the beginning. Um, how would I, that have changed things then? Well, I mean, I, I worried that, you know, in some ways it it, it seemed like a, a natural conclusion, but it also seemed like a poem that um, I was a little bit dark. It, it ends with the sort of failure of communication. Um, but by putting it at the end, I think it it works in the sense that hopefully you've just read this book and and you kind of only halfway believe the speaker who says no transmission can convey me. I mean... I think I believe that, that nothing in terms of poetry can convey us perfectly, um, which is why we keep writing it. But there is a way in which that's not true also. Um, something does get conveyed. It's just not everything. And so it felt like a good place to to stop with, with that little concept, that project. Because it feels like there's... If you're, and especially with ending on the bothered by the uh, about beauty, so that's nice. The bothered about beauty, like that that lovely like ending. Um, it's it's something where you you know that um, the speaker is going to continue sort of with that, 
and you know there'll be more at some point. Yeah, so no, it's, it, if something bothers you, it's not like you're finished with it, that's for sure. No, and it was definitely a poem that springboarded me into the next book. I mean, it it took a while for me to, to, to write the new manuscript, um, but it, it's odd in the, the way in which it almost feels like a completely unrelated sequel of sorts. Um, maybe that's how every poet feels about all their books. Um, an unrelated sequel. Yeah, I mean, it. It. I tend to, I found, I don't, I mean, obviously I haven't published a lot, but um, a lot of books, but I, I found that at least these two are very much conceptual books. That They're not just sort of collections of poems. They, they're poems that have to do with each other, um, and they speak to each other directly inside the book. And so it took me a while to figure out what the next concept was after Carrier Wave. And so in that way, the, the new concept is is totally unrelated to what happens in this book, but can you tell us what that is? Like what the um, concept? Well, the the new manuscript is called "This Room with Arsonist," um, and it's essentially a, a a running sequence of poems. There's um that that all live in the world of an imaginary novel called "This Room with Arsonist," um, <laughs> and so there are recurring characters um, and there's a speaker kind of going through this life. And so there are these poems that you'll see a sailboat was one of them that sort of float on another level away from the narrative. And then there are poems that go into a narrative a little bit more and, and they kind of weave in and out that way. And so that's sort of the, the, the concept there was to make a fiction of myself and my life in order to be able to talk about it. Um, where in, in Carrier Wave, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with poems that are confessional. I, I don't have a very good stomach for that sort of thing. I, I, it makes me uncomfortable to speak about myself that way. It makes me uncomfortable to sometimes hear about other people's lives through poetry. And so I tend to obscure a lot of things. And, and that's what happened in Carrier Wave a lot of that was that, that concept of static um, getting in the way. And now this new one is sort of turning the self into a fiction in order to speak about it. In, in order to reveal it, yeah, to speak in that way. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting that you said, like, to obscure, because I was thinking from from this book, um, the obstruction in art and uh, is something that you were interested in. So that, that is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of a an, an odd kind of stance to take, and it can infuriate a lot of people, I think, in, in poetry, because... The point is to reveal some kind of a truth, some will say, and, and not to make it more difficult to see things. Um, but the way in which I think I, I skewer things is that I, I'm kind of acknowledging that things, certain things can't be um, revealed. And so we shouldn't really worry about that. And we should worry more about maybe the image and maybe sort of being funny or, or entertaining or something. Um, and what gets revealed gets revealed as a matter of course in the way that it does when you speak to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you, when you talk to someone, you don't really expect them to reveal everything about themselves all at once. And you certainly don't expect them to, to hand you some kind of truth. And so I think it's a little bit off to expect that of art. I mean, after all, people produce art. Um, but at the same time, you're still trying to give somebody something interesting that, that nobody else would give them. Um, so I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but the, so the idea of obscuring in the end is, it's not intentional obscuring. It's just sort of what 
comes out of, of me and what, what does not come out of me. Well, let's take it. That's let's take a short break because that's an interesting thing. We think about that for a moment. We'll be right back with the Living Writers Show. back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Living Writers Show, and today Jess Winder Molina is in the studio. Um, he's he's here in town uh, reading from his book, Carrier Wave, and he's also got a new manuscript with him. So we're going to hear some, um, we're going to hear a new poem now, right? Yeah. Um, is that what you have on deck for us? <laughs> this is it's what I've got on top. Um, okay. And, and this, I think, really is... Um, it's it sort of gets at that notion of uh, novelization and fictionalizing things. Um, and there's a character in here which I'm not going to explain. And see if people follow that it's a character. Um, okay, a little test for little everyone test listening. Right. <laughs> um, the poem is called "Fictive and Careening." In my life as a novel, you'd be the haberdasher in tweed closing up shop, who I nod to in October on Oak Street while I stride urgently to meet with urgent others. Or maybe, my knapsack riding the conveyor, you'd be the woman at O'Hare Security, inviting me through the metal detector, or the attendant admitting me when I arrive, breathless at the gate. You ladle soup into my bowl in the hospital cafeteria. Your Iowa in the novel about Chicago, our background radiation, invisible and pouring out of the perforated night onto the pier I walked the edge of. You are the pier. Or you're someone I mention in a scene with longing to Charlie in a story I tell him about the past, which is always a story. You're lounging an afternoon in a fictive future, which is also always a story, on a boat on the water I wave to, and though you don't know me, you wave back, because you're the sort who waves to strangers. In my life as a novel, I hasten past you on the hotel escalator. I'm shivering out of focus beside you in the frigid evening of the Argyle Avenue elevated, 
on my way to a shindig at Tate's place or Faisal's place, or I'm flotsam in your proximity at the Hopleaf, days without eating, days without Abby. After Charlie's father hangs himself instead of being addled by cancer, you're the medic who tries to revive him, or the inspector who wires from Cairo informing, or through a window overlooking, you're a witness when I take two tin cans of kerosene, step into my garden, douse all the fences, and then light a match. Or the other idea that maybe you're not in the novel at all, but are somewhere over where you are, where life is like what life is really like, in conversation with others in amusement or in consolation, in the elsewhere of your real life, where you're doing so well and so much without me, while I'm here, looking at my hand, wondering what it's made out of. Thank you, Jess Winder. Thank you. Thanks for letting me read. <laughs> Anytime. Just drive on up from Ohio. Um, so, so there's like, so that's the idea of like you're you're speaking to another character that you're creating in the poem, and that's. Do you want to? I mean, a little speak bit. To I think, a little bit. Or? I think there's a little bit of both. There's a way in which the poem's speaking to the reader, um, or speaking to a character that that sort of. I'm, I'm imagining. Um, and so there's this interaction between the notion of the person who's in the book, sort of speaking out of the book at the rest of the world. Um, but there's also the notion, I think, of me as the author sitting there writing the book and looking at myself as a character. Um, and then there, there are these characters that exist um, within the book characters like Charlie and, and, and Abby and I, you know, kind of picked generic names and went with that. Um, oh, and so are they resurfacing in different poems mm-hmm. then Charlie and Abby? Yeah, okay. they come, they come in and out. Um, and if, like the hop leaf is a real place, a bar in Chicago. Right? Yeah. A lot of these places are yeah. real. Um, and that was the weird thing is I, you know, I haven't lived in Chicago in a few years now and I couldn't write about it until I moved away. And That's the way, isn't it? Yeah, it, you can't. I think it feels too. You feel too self-conscious. And you're too. Yeah, you're too steeped in it. And, yep. and, and Yeah. And so that was it. That was the notion. The idea was, well, how can I write about some things that really did happen and other things that didn't happen, and the places where they happened or, in fact, didn't happen. I mean, some of these scenes are completely obviously invented, but. Um, the you does like the you that that you're that you're speaking to in the poem seems to be shifting somewhat. That's why I was trying to figure out if there was, or, or it could be someone that could be like that seems lost to you, or someone that was a like a I don't know because I was trying to like get get understand that idea of character that you were talking about uh, earlier. Well, the the you in some ways in that poem is you. I mean, it's. It's you or, or whoever is listening or whoever's, whoever's <laughs> reading. It's the idea that, uh, you know, it started with the notion of, I think it might have started in a line for airport security. I think there might have been somebody behind me or somebody working there or whatever happened. Um, I thought to myself, this is why novels don't work is because I can't get, I wouldn't be able to get all these people in, you know, and in, in, if my life were a novel, well, how, you know, how could I describe the world fully enough? Um and and who would these people be? And, and then I, I thought of this sort of, who would the reader be, right? There's, there's every possibility that you, you read a novel by somebody that you like quite a bit, that, that's quite famous or something, and um, you may have run into that person somewhere along the way. and, and In you, line at the airport. <laughs> right, and, and you know, you might have actually appeared in their book without your, your knowing it. Um, <laughs> so it was sort of a, an acknowledgement of, of that potentiality of, of 
I mean, imagine if I'm standing online someplace and, you know, years ago and Raymond Carver runs into me and sees me do something and then all of a sudden that appears and I have no recollection of ever having done it and I have no idea that I ever ran into him and there it is in a short story somewhere. Well, and because we're doing that, you know, writers are capturing that sometimes whether we know it or not, like you're saying, Cheswinder, and then, but that's what we're all, as we're living, that's like, constantly what's happening the sparks that we're sparking things or ideas in other people's lives and we have no i no we we have no clue that we're doing that no intention yeah and and, 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 some and ways, they for us <laughs> and in some ways they don't need us and we don't need them um of course ah of that, course, the sad and bitter truth well yeah <laughs> oh, but we don't we need them we need some sort of sparks or so no we we absolutely do and i and i mean need in in the way that the art needs it um but maybe the people don't if, you know, the, there is that idea of the rest of the world while we're sitting in the studio talking, there are people doing all sorts of things and they're just fine and, and they don't need us and don't need to hear what we have to say. But, but of course, we need them to say things and, and we want to speak to them and we want to hear what they have to say. Um, and so art can be a, a, a give and take like that. I think poetry can be a give and take like that. And... And so this poem's just sort of dealing with all the, not all, but but a lot of the different ways I could think of that coming together, that the, that the you could be somebody very important or somebody very minor, and um, and it wouldn't make much of a difference, really. Or it may, maybe makes all the difference, I'm not sure. Um, that's true. That's, that's, um... How do we ever really know? <laughs> I don't think we do. I think I'm, I'm going to take credit, though. I'm going to pretend okay, every time. I, it, every time it. I read a novel, I'm going to pretend like I was the inspiration for a character. That's going to be my thing from now on. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Just say, um, of course, I'm the star of everyone's plot. <laughs> right. Or, 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 or you are. Or you. Right. Yeah, that you and, again. And at least I met you at some point. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad we're going to be part of that somehow. Well, um, well, okay. So maybe I think I I might have. Well, I have a question for you from Carrier Way from the book. So kind of jumping back to your 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 other stuff because you said that you were you didn't like to consciously write about where you were. But then mm -hmm. there was a poem that I read in here that I thought it sounds like a community of writers. And so, and with the names that you listed, I kind of imagined it being your cohort here at the University of Michigan. So which, which poem was which that? Which poem was that? Oh my God. Okay, now I'm Johnny on the spot here. Where is it? Can you can you sing a little song for us? Well, Jess I can, well? I, you don't want to hear me sing. You don't, my, my voice is bad enough in speech. It's worse in song. Um, that is but, true. But I will say that um, I think that... Is it? Oh, is Interrupted it Conversation Part 2. Yeah, yeah, you know what? That's actually... Those are friends of mine. Um, they weren't uh, in the cohort. Uh, oh, some yeah. of A couple of them were, actually. Um, I'm a poetry detective, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, you, there, there, there are some people in there who are, in fact, poets. Um, but uh, this is actually a, it's um, interrupted conversation part two. I was being a smart Alec with that title too. But, um, but the idea I think for this one was all these people sort of in conversation with each other and with the speaker. Um, and I just used names of friends, and some I think were here. George was here. Um, he was my roommate at the time and did, did his MFA here, George Sanchez, also a great poet. Um, and then there are other people who are who are just sort of friends. Um, 
but yeah, it, it, and I think this is what happens when I, when I say I don't write about my life. I think I take parts of it and mix and match them and, and put them where they don't belong. And, and sometimes I, 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 but that's how you see them or, or feel, feel them to be right. They don't belong only because they didn't happen in that chrono chronology. Right. right. Very much. I mean, and I mean, even the, one of the first poems in the book where there's an explicit mention of codes, um, I actually know the real life situation that that poem was about. Obviously, it happened to me, and I was writing about a real event. But it, of course, the poem ends up being about elephants and and going to diners in in Tennessee and and right. <laughs> and, and it was all and what to do with your briefcase, right? Yeah, yeah. yep. And and you know, I, I, and so secretly, I know what all those things point to. But I, I didn't think that would be interesting to a reader to hear about, you know, my, my troubles or heartaches or whatever else. And so I thought, well, how can I reconfigure the world to be sort of something entertaining? Um, that's where I think surrealism gets to be really helpful. You can just replace people with elephants and then see what happens to the poem. Um, but in this poem, I replaced people with people, or I replaced actually maybe myself with people. Um, I had a bunch of statements, I think, that I wanted to make. And so I thought, well, you can't just have a poem full of grand unfounded metaphysical statement so if I just sure, or you can <laughs> I guess I guess you can but um but this seems interesting how you chose to do it well I thought if I blamed it on all my friends that way I wouldn't be held accountable um to share some of the <laughs> I, can, I guess I can, I can read it if you'd like I mean is that would, yeah actually let's let's take a short break okay. and then we'll come back and we'll get right to the poem um you're listening to the living writers show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor Welcome back. You're listening to The Living Writer Show. My name is T. Hetzel, and today in the studio, Jess Winder Bolina is here with us. Um, he's going to read a poem from his book, Carrier Wave. Interrupted Conversation, Part 2. I'm among those oft-cited tribes who believe photographs are purloiners of the soul. In that case, I'd advise a lemon peel and carbonated water, Anakini advises. Is there anything that can't be cured with a lemon peel, asks Lynn. Ricketts, George replies. 
Back then, none of us is conceptual, reduced by the verbiage or any kind of resonance imaging. Back then, it's all very real, like a hangover or descent from a moment of unbearable clarity. Paul states there's no metaphysical necessity for a tea infuser. Michael adds resolutely, in experience, there is no resolution. Jeff mumbles, my mouth's a ball of twine. Tom says the dead haven't changed to their minds, but we're cautiously optimistic, offers Noah. There's a bleeding transistor in your chest. The sparrow doesn't see the window. Like electrons in close quarters, there's the inevitable colliding. Anne asserts you will end strangely. Not unlike a daring screen adaptation of a lesser-known novel, chuckles Hawks. Antoinette concedes you'll never find love that's both pure and deep, because anything that deep usually gets pretty murky. You will not be alone, says Father, but no one will really know you, adds Uncle. Then, after years of wobbling, the sun begins to wield us as symbolic imagery, which makes us feel quite hollow and all beside ourselves. Thank you. Thanks for reading that one, Jessica. You're welcome. Um, yeah, so what is the, um, what's the element of humor? Because like, what does humor allow you to do as a poet? Um, like the, can you get to more places or what? what it, well, I mean, I think there's... Because you're not yucking it up. I mean, you're not just, whoa. No, I mean, I think humor adds a certain um, bit of texture, tonal texture. I mean, I, I have a hard time reading poets or, or listening to poets who are on, on one sort of channel all the time, and it's always sort of, you know, the soap opera channel or something. It, it, it's always things are very serious. And um, and sure, they're serious. I mean, of course they are, but there's also a lot of humor in that seriousness. Um, well, because life is absurd. Yeah, I, I mean, you end up in sort of bizarre situations, even at, you know, in the deepest of tragedies. I mean, I think you, there's always something bizarre that happens. And... I think by including all of that, um, it makes the serious stuff maybe, hopefully, a, a little more poignant, um, and maybe the humor is a bit of relief um, in in the midst of that. And you know, the, to me, the difference between comedy and poetry to begin with isn't all that substantial. I mean, a poet and a comedian will both take, generally speaking, the lives that we know, the world that we know, and just tweak them a little bit. Um, the comedian, of course, does it for a laugh, and we maybe do it to make people weep. I don't, I don't know, but <laughs> the, the, but the difference between sort of a you know a, 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 so not, people are going to be weeping when you read another poem, Corey. I, I no, sorry, but the difference between oh yeah no, I mean I, I think that's a, that's just something that I that I've kind of thought for a long time that um, that we're just looking at the world and trying to pres- present it in a slightly different way so that it becomes illuminating. You know, that feeling you get when the comedian makes the joke and it's about laundry or something and all of a sudden you've never thought of laundry that way before. Um, well, poems can do that too. And, and for me, I, I think I just like to have some of that in there. I mean, I, I'm not a joke teller, but um, but I don't mind being lighthearted in, in serious poems and being serious in lighthearted poems. I think... Um, that's something I did learn, I, I would say, from people like John Ashbery or, or Dean Young, um, the ability to sort of shift tone on the fly, and, and that does a lot, I think, for their poems, and so I started using it as best I could in mine. Because you have an understanding of it that's that's part of how it seems like you're coming to the world, so it seems like a natural way you'd... It, it, I mean, it, do, it does feel natural. I mean, I think it is... Um, 
I mean, that's part, partly my family too. I think everyone has a pretty good sense of humor. Um, and so even when things are pretty serious, there's always some, some joke there that can be sort of made either quietly or, or, or loudly depending on the circumstance. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just a, a, a balanced way of presenting things. I get uncomfortable when, when poets strictly write those sort of very, um, almost melodramatic kinds of poems. And, and it, that's not to say that those poems are, those kinds of poems are, are bad. Um, but that's just not, not you, like not your way of your transmissions. Yeah. It's <laughs> right? not, it's not how I write. That's not how I get my, you know, point across. Mm-hmm. Um, well, how, how about, um, reading one of your, your new poems? Um, um, sure. Yeah, I'll read, I can read another new one. Um, to get your point across. No, to, just to get, to get my to sound like you're to caring. get my point across. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think a lot of these um, are there. Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll read one um, if I can find it. Um, that was about something pretty deadly serious, I guess, from a certain point of view. Um, but I, I had to deal with it somehow, and um, I'm going to use slightly uh, inappropriate uh, language when I when I read this poem. Uh, well, uh, swears? Uh, no, no, okay. no, no, no swears. Because um, that radio thing. We have to get you on late night radio. Um, oh, that's true. I don't want to uh, to offend anybody. This was actually a racial epithet that was, oh, that um, was shouted it, at me. I think I think that, that oh, it's more like the, yeah. Okay, then, then we're, we're going to be okay. For art, yeah, this is yeah, the artistic integrity of your poem. Yeah, I don't want to maybe, well, nobody bleeped this guy as he i was walking down a street and somebody shouted something from a car at me which i mentioned in the poem um the poem is called interperson and i don't know if that's a title that's going to stick but that's what it's called for now (laughs) i want to be accosted by beautiful women not some yokel hurling sand nigger at me from a beat-up cutlass sierra at 7 a.m if i'm going to be attacked let it be by adorable children or sparrows not the toothless yahoo of my expectations What I can't understand is who has the energy to be a xenophobe at seven in the morning. Not me, anyway. Though I had energy enough to think of language. Thud meant the saying of sand nigger. So a sign is more than a signifier, with its tongue tucked into the ear of the signified. No, it sometimes slobbers around some. Anyway, I don't mind being attacked. Just let it be by shapely knuckles instead of language. Sand nigger, he hollered, meaning a rimshot, maybe. Or maybe meaning go back where you came from. And how could I explain I had nowhere to go, or no other way to get where I was going, and I hadn't meant to sully his morning, and hadn't meant to make him uncomfortable. But if he thought he was uncomfortable, I mean the guy howled sand nigger at me, and there were people around. I was so embarrassed for them, looking so uncertainly to me and what I might do. So I set about explaining how he'd gotten the country of origin wrong, how my folks are from fields, and there isn't any sand there. The fields are green, and sure I'm brown, but I'm harmless. I mean, I don't even believe in God. Then I thought of all the people he meant when he offered sand nigger, and thought of all the people he might have shouted sand nigger at just that morning even, and how even now he's probably somewhere in his cutlass shouting sand nigger, sand nigger, at overbaked socialites strolling out of tanning salons, squinting into the sun, and how all us sand niggers are in this together. Anyway, he shouted sand nigger, and the others I told this to all agreed it was just disgusting, the way he shouted that at me. So the signifier disgusting signified that, and that suddenly signified sand nigger. 
which had meant disgusting all along. And I could hardly blame him, all that concrete and glass having fallen out of the blue September, the god-awful sand nigger sky, how it was his sky, and I wanted to embrace him and murmur I'm sorry, or I understand, or maybe I want to stab you in the heart, meaning how easy it is to wound, how much easier to be the wounded. Thank you. Thanks for reading that one. So that's that's part of the new... Wow, so that's, you are being, you're, that's working from your own life, which you were saying that, 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 that actually was an experience that happened. So that was one of those rare moments where something did happen and you've managed to chronicle it without the fiction because you said it's part of the new manuscript. It is. Right, okay. It, it, <laughs> it, is, it is part of the new manuscript. Um, and I guess it, I mean, it is about me, but then it's not. I mean, okay. I, I've now, I've now revealed that this actually happened to me but in the context of the book it could right. be very much be about just the character um and i don't think i could have written it just about me without that sort of apparatus and it's it's such a weird i think quirk to have but i really don't think i could have written the poem just in the context of i'm going to sit down and write about this experience um i ended up needing the poem in order to get some aspect of the character across um that he was a minority and 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 things like that um and so this was one way to do it and it ended up being about something that happened and certainly something that other people will recognize um but it just as easily could have not happened um and yeah so i mean in that way it's it is about me um but only those listening to this radio show will know that Oh, it's a living writer's scoop then. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jess Winder. <laughs> that was great. Um, yeah. Yeah, and there's moments. Um, uh, it's sort of that ex- this poem um, is an example of you saying that there's, um, this is a very serious poem, right? But then you've got these wonderful moments where you say, um, instead of the toothless Yahoo of my expectations. So that's like really light i hope i'm quoting you right no, there yeah, you are my, quoting it right. yeah. <laughs> my, my notes here um but, yeah. yeah i mean and that was just it i you know to I, I i it's tough to talk about i think race um and cultural difference at least for me in, in poems without feeling like i'm doing it in a way that other people have already done it um or to do it in a way where you feel like a victim or something and i don't want to get that across either I, you know i want but how interesting that that's like how that seems to be a, a truth in the poem about the the wounding and the the, the wounded and the yeah, it's well yeah I mean and I think that's the only way for me to to right now to get at it um, I've been asked by people you know why I don't write about my name's Jaswinder and um, and there are very few poems in Carrier Wave that have anything to do with my background my ethnicity or, or my appearance um, and it's not something I'm entirely ready to write about and. This was maybe one of my first times doing it, but again, it was in the context of this story that I was telling. And so mm-hmm. I could approach it that way. And then doing it that way, it felt like I hadn't seen this tactic before. Um, and I'm sure somebody's used it. I mean, obviously, to use comedy to diffuse something like that isn't uh, necessarily unique, but it, it was a tactic that I could, I could use that in semiotics, getting... A little bit of, of that in there. 
Yeah, and so it's a way it's a way to get at the the truth, like to to the revealing of it of the. Yeah, I mean, it's ideas. it's all it's all language in the end, <laughs> and um, you know what the guy said is just they're just words, and they shouldn't really they shouldn't have an impact, and yet they do, and so. Um, I well, because words are all we really have in in some ways to do this transmitting and this communicating. I mean, yeah, they're I mean they're everything. They're what we think in, and um, you know there are other parts of our lives and other aspects of ourselves that maybe aren't in language, but so much of ourselves is in fact defined and wrapped up in language, and and so I think this poem wanted to I wanted to sort of acknowledge that and when when you start to do that you start to get into word play and word games and and that's where i think the initial jokes started to come from um but i knew that i could make those jokes and then back them off and and talk about this in in a number of different ways um and which is what i and guess something I did. that you cared about yeah that, uh, yeah well well, thank you. Thank, thank you so much for being here, Jess Winder. Thank you very and, much for having and, me. Um, any time you're in town, please come by the station. I will and, do that. Um, and this, uh, this you've heard poems from Carrier Wave and from the new manuscript that Jess Winder Bolina has, has um, got going. Thanks for listening, Ann Arbor. Thanks for streaming in uh, Florida, Seattle, uh, Chicago, elsewhere. Um, thanks a lot to Alex Bellhodge for engineering the show today. Um, I'm T. Hetzel, The Living Writers Show. Until next time.